This is the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 11, starting in verse 29. When the crowds were beginning, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn them. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Spencer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is um, a privilege to be able to uh, walk in your light. Thank you for shining your light in the hearts of your people through the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to pray for our missionaries that we support, David and Nicole, as they're over in Jordan right now with their team, acquiring uh, this very difficult language of Arabic and amidst all the, the tensions and conflict going on in that area of the world. Lord, I pray that the light of the gospel would shine brightly through them and their team here and now. Lord, would you give them favor so that they can not just learn this language to order food or get around town, but so that they can share the gospel from their hearts. God, I pray that you would sustain them. Would they be people of peace? And Lord, would you use them to introduce them to the Prince of Peace? Father, I also thank you for the work that you were doing in Beck's life and the Easton family. And we pray as a church, would you lead us clearly here? If there are encouragements or admonishments uh, that we need to know, Lord, I pray that you would put it in the heart of your people, the covenant partners of this church, to approach Beck, to approach us as elders. And Lord, we, we want you to really lead us through this process. And Lord, as we turn our attention to your holy world now, we pray, Father, as your word is open, forgive us for what we have been. Sanctify us for what we are. Order what we will become. And Lord, what we do not know, will you teach us here and now? What we do not have, will you give us? What we are not, will you make us? We pray this for the fame of Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So one of my um, favorite book series is the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, don't worry, this isn't a Chronicles of Narnia reference, but just out of curiosity, 
Who hasn't read the Chronicles of Narnia? Okay. Okay, you're missing out. <laughs> Would highly recommend the Chronicles of Narnia to you. Um, but I was introduced first to C.S. Lewis, the author, through these chronicles and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Um, but as I've kind of expanded my C.S. Lewis repertoire, um, I've been fascinated by how much he references light in his writings. And in my study this week, I came across a brief story titled, The Man Born Blind, from C.S. Lewis. And the story concerns a man, his name is Robin, who was born blind. And throughout his life, he had heard these references to light. And after an operation, his sight was restored, and he continued in great earnest to learn about light. He had this quest. What is the substance of light? But he quickly realized that it was an illusion. It was beyond his understanding, and the search ultimately resulted in his death. It's kind of a sad story, but as I reflected on it, what I thought was oftentimes we are looking for things, and we're trying to see them when in fact, they're right in front of our face. And we don't see it. We are proverbially blind for what we are looking to. And what Jesus is getting at at our passage here this morning is right in the plain sight of those who claim to be looking, but they are blind and they cannot see Him. And so as we turn our attention to the text here, we find ourselves in the middle of a teaching of Jesus that Aaron picked up on last week, and he's teaching this crowd of people, and Jesus had just cast out this demon, this demon that was inside a man, and it made him mute. Jesus cast him out, Then the mute man's tongue was loosed, and the people marveled. And then, in chapter 11, verse 15, they claim he casts out demon by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And if you recall from Aaron's sermon last week, Aaron unpacked this reality of these two different kingdoms, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, one of Satan, one of Christ, and the explicit danger of not being united to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. But in our passage this morning, Jesus is giving a response to what they requested, what they demanded in verse 16 of chapter 11. It reads this, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. And this is a little bit ironic. <laughs> They're seeking a sign from Jesus. They want him to do something amazing, incredible. But they're blind to the very sign that he just did. Casting out this demon. This mute man now speaks. But more than that, he didn't just cast out a demon. He didn't just perform a sign or a miracle. No, Jesus himself is the sign to those who are blind. And he's right in front of them. But they can't see him because of the hardness of their hearts. And so this morning... This is what we're going to talk about. I have a slide for us. This morning we're going to say, Behold, 
The light of the world has come. And are you going to reject him? Or are you going to reflect him? And so two-parter, if you're a note taker, you might want to write these down. The first part's going to be rejecting the greater sign. And the second part is going to be reflecting the light of the world. So the first point here, rejecting the greater sign. This is verses 29 through 32. So on the heels of this miraculous sign, the crowd increases. Word spreads. The fame of Jesus is growing in that moment and people come running. And notice his first words there in verse 29. He says, this, this generation is an evil generation. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I have a bit of a marketing background. I studied business marketing at Colorado State, and I was thinking about this week. I said, imagine I went back to one of my marketing professors and said, hey, prof, great things have happened in my life. I've become a Christian since I've taken your class. And more than that, I've become a pastor. And it's my desire to minister to college students. And so we're going to gather them together at the church building on Friday nights. And this is what I'm going to say. Your generation is an evil generation. Can you imagine what my professor might say to me? He might say, one, Daniel, you're crazy. And two, he might also say, you need to take my class again. Because what Jesus is doing here isn't a marketing tactic. He's not trying to gather even more people to himself. No, he's trying to preach the truth, a prophetic word of the condition of their hearts. That condition that is obstinate, that condition that is stiff-necked, stiff-necked and hardened. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, as we saw back in verse 17 of chapter 11, he calls them out. He says in our passage that they seek a sign, but none will be given except for the sign of Jonah. And this sign, oh boy, the sign of Jonah, it's going to be the penultimate sign. But even that sign is going to be rejected by this evil generation. And thus, Jesus doesn't bow to their demand for a cosmic sign. And he gives a stark warning here. A stark warning to those who reject him And he uses these two prominent Old Testament characters. The Queen of the South and the the Ninevites. This is a warning of the judgment to come for those who reject Jesus and his message. The first, the Queen of the South. This refers to the Queen of Sheba, who's found in 1 Kings chapter 10. This queen heard of the fame of King Solomon. How his... Wisdom had surpassed anyone in the land. And so she traveled from her land, a faraway land, and came with an entourage and many extravagant gifts to Solomon's kingdom in Jerusalem. And then she sits at Solomon's feet, has all her questions answered. And this is her response from 1 Kings 10, 6-9. She says, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words, and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report I heard. Happy are your men. 
Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. This queen was amazed, not just at the wisdom that Solomon had, but she saw through the wisdom from whom the wisdom came from, namely God Himself. And this Gentile queen who went to great lengths to hear this wisdom, she demonstrates her faith here in 1 Kings chapter 10 in response to the wisdom of this wise man. She knew that wisdom came from God and she glorified God. And Jesus warns in our passage here this morning that she will be at the final judgment. She will rise up and judge this evil generation because of their unbelief. But notice Jesus' Jesus's logic on why. Why she's going to be the accuser of this evil generation. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. You see, Jesus is showing us the unity and the beauty of God's Word. That the story of redemption has been progressing ever since the Garden of Eden. Ever since unbelief entered into the world. And it is reaching its culmination, its apex at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And He has set a trajectory all the way back from the garden that's about to reach its climax. Solomon was the wisest man to walk the face of the earth. Jesus, however, is wisdom. The Apostle Paul picks up on this. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Also in Colossians chapter 2 Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus Himself. The wisdom of God in the flesh. He is the one who Solomon derived all his wisdom from. And you better believe the Queen of the South will be at the future judgment for those who who reject the greater wisdom. Namely, Jesus Christ. Behold, something greater is here. Similarly, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment and condemn the evil generation. But notice the reasoning for their inclusion. It's slightly different. Verse 32 says, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Jonah, it is a fantastic book in the Old Testament. Jonah was a prophet, which means he would go speak to the people on behalf of God. It took place about 750 years before Jesus was born. And it's one of my favorite books. (laughs) Jonah was commanded by God to go to a people, the Ninevites. We find out that Jonah actually didn't like the Ninevites. In fact, he despised them. Jonah was to call the Ninevites out for their evil. For their evil against God. But Jonah has evil in his own heart. And he doesn't listen to God's call on his life. And in fact, he runs. He rebels. And he goes the opposite direction of Nineveh. 
He books a one-way ticket on a ship. And Jonah chapter 1 says, away from the presence of God. This is what happens when you reject God. You are away from His presence. And if you know the story, a great storm arises. It was very tempestuous, it says. And the mariners of the ship realize Jonah's little rebel plan. So they cast him overboard. Throw him to the depths of the sea. Only to have their lives saved. Physically, as the storm stopped but also spiritually as they glorified God. Now Jonah, he's drifting, drifting, drifting to the bottom of the sea. He's as good as dead. And the Lord entombs Jonah in the belly of a great fish for three days. And this is where the story gets real good. From the belly of the fish, Jonah cries out to the Lord. Notice the theme of death and resurrection here in Jonah's prayer from Jonah chapter 2. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. It's as if Jonah came back to life. And in verse 30 of our text this morning, says that Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. So if you don't know the story, as it unfolds, Jonah gets spit out from the belly of the whale, goes to Nineveh, calls out against them a very brief message, and Jonah turn, er, and the Ninevites turn. They believe God, they take him at Jonah's word, and they repent. They turned from their evil ways and God forgave them. The Ninevites, a Gentile nation. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus says the Son of Man will be the sign to this generation. You see, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the sign to be shown to all the people, to all the nations. And in turn... This sign is to cause people to believe. Cause people to turn from their evil ways. Their rejection from God. I read a quote this week about this that said, the rhythm of Jonah's seemingly death experience was literally fulfilled in Jesus' death on the cross at the hands of the Romans. His burial by Joseph and Nicodemus and His glorious resurrection. Do you see this greater sign? Do you behold Him? Folks, if you are here this morning and you know that you are not a Christian, I want to make this just as clear as possible. The the Bible says that there's a judgment day coming. And if you have rejected God, 
If you have denied that he exists, if you are even indifferent to Jesus, or maybe you know who Jesus is and the claims that he has on your life, and you say, I don't want anything to do with him. That's a dangerous place to be. The Bible calls this sin. And it's not just morally bad choices. No, it's a rejection of God. But if you're asking yourself, how can I be sure that God exists? Like, what proof can you give me, Daniel? The proof is in the resurrection from the dead that is testified in God's holy word. The God who made the heavens and the earth has designed His revelation to be chiefly known through His Son, Jesus. Look no further than His atoning death, His burial, and His glorious resurrection. His atoning death, the brutal crucifixion on the cross. More than that, He was unjustly killed. He was innocent, which also means He was without sin. But He willingly went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. That's what atonement means. He makes payment for sin. And for those who believe in Him, He becomes their substitute. Our sin for what we committed deserves penalty, death. But Jesus' death on the cross was in our place. And His perfection his sinlessness, what the Bible calls His righteousness, is then given to us. There's an exchange. He's our substitute. And beyond what was accomplished by His death, He was buried. He was without life. In the grave for three days. And then that morning of the third day, oh boy, God the Father rose. God the Son and breathed new life through God the Spirit into His lungs. A a regenerated body, glorious and new. He rose, went forth, and showed Himself to just a few, and then a few more, and then the twelve. They touched Him, they poked Him. And then the New Testament says, 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the grand sign that you're looking for. There's not 10,000 wonders or miracles or signs. No, those aren't going to be enough for you. Belief in Jesus and what has happened through His death, burial, and resurrection. Understanding who He is. What He has done. Taking Him at His word. Look no further. Jesus is not what you're looking for. Behold, Jesus is who you are looking for. He did what He said He would do. He rose from the dead. Let Him be the only sign you are looking for. And what He offers is amazing. What He offers is a relationship with a heavenly Father who knows you, who loves you, who cares for you. He's not a grumpy grandpa who's looking to condemn you. No, He loves you and wants a relationship with you. And He offers you intimacy with Him through His Son. And He gives you His Holy Spirit to know Him, to walk with Him, to fellowship. The offer is fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. And more than that, He offers you life. Life eternal. For the forgiveness of your sins 
that is given to you through your faith in Jesus. And so if you're here and you're wondering, where do I go? What do I do from here? You believe in Jesus. You turn from your sin. Like the people of Nineveh. God will not only relent of his disastrous wrath, but he will bless you beyond anything you can imagine. Take Jesus at his word. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So rejecting the greater sign is certainly possible, but it would be foolish. And that evil generation that Jesus had in his presence, but now we are on the other side of redemption. We are on the other side of the cross, of the resurrection. Behold, something greater is here. Namely, the light of the world. For those who have accepted Jesus, who have welcomed him into their heart, he is the very light of our lives. And that leads us to our second point this morning. We can reflect this light of the world. Verses 33 through 36. Okay, in verse 33, he says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. And this statement from Jesus might be familiar to some of us because he's actually already said it in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 8. He also said it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 16. But this teaching is a little different here. Jesus is using a metaphor. He's using a metaphor in this passage of two different lamps. The first lamp is himself. Jesus is the light of the world. And just like if you were to light a lamp, you don't cover it up. You don't put it underneath something. No, you put it on its stand so that it illuminates the room that you have. And Jesus, being the light of the world, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When Jesus comes into someone's life, he gives them purpose, meaning, and direction. And everything makes sense from there. Jesus is the light that is not to be hidden or not to be missed. But as this crowd was increasing, as those who sought a heavenly sign the light that they had was actually darkness. They didn't recognize the light in the world that was right in front of their face. They thought they had sight, but without beholding Jesus for who he really is, they were blind. And he gives us another lamp in verse 34. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. This is kind of strange, interesting, had to think about it long and hard this week. The way that Jesus becomes a lamp for you is that you see Him for who He really is. And your eye becomes the lamp of your body when you see the lamp of the greater light. What Jesus is saying here is your eye is like a window. A window that has light shining from the outside to the inside of your body. Sometimes I come here to the church building. It's early morning. Nobody else is in the building, as far as I know. And I'll come in here to the sanctuary. And we've got this great stained glass window. 
And there are times in certain seasons of the year where the sunlight, its rays directly shine through that window. And it is way brighter than any of these lights that we have on here today. Similarly, the light of the world is to come from the outside into our hearts and change us. He goes on and says, when your, light, when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, it is full of darkness. So if your eye sees Jesus for who He truly is, if you believe in Him, then you are full of light. But if you don't see Him for who He truly is, you are full of darkness. This is a crucial contrast that Jesus is making here. Because the body is a metaphor for the heart. It's not this blood pumping organ here on the left side of your chest. No, the heart, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it is the very command center of our beings. It controls our desires and our will. And when that light comes to us from the outside in, He changes this hardened heart of stone. This rejecting heart. And it becomes soft and moldable. moldable. From obstinate rejection to merciful teachability. From arrogance to humility. From blindness to sight. From darkness to light. Behold, this is what the light of the world came to do. To change those who reject Him. And reject Him. And reject Him. And He's the one that takes the initiative. That changes the heart. That opens up our eyes so that we are no longer blind, but we can see Him for who He truly is. But the warning here for Jesus' audience and for us that there's much that passes through our eyes into our hearts that is not actual light. There are many bright things in the world that keep us from seeing the true light of Christ. And he's saying, pay attention. Be careful. Verse 35 is the only imperative in the entire text. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. What you see, something that might look attractive, bright, compelling, if it is not of Christ, you will be filled with darkness. These are alternate or false sources of light. And some of them might be obvious. Some of them, you might think, maybe you're trying to do something to assuage God's favor, to lessen His blow towards you because of your sin, so you do some good things. Maybe you give some money to the church, or you attend a religious gathering like this. Or you serve your neighbor. could also be something like success and affluence. These are things that come in and change and mold our hearts. But there can be more subtle forms of light in our day and age that crowd out the true light of Christ. For me, I spent a lot of time reading the news. I spent a lot of time following sports scores and teams. For others, it could be something like social media. Or maybe a streaming service that you have. You know, these things aren't inherently bad but they can distract us from seeing the true light of Christ. And they can even be things like Christian podcasts or books on theology that give us knowledge that puff up, that puffs up. 
And the imperative here is to be careful. Look at the light that's coming in. It's not just this lazy consumption of whatever we want. No, we have to be thoughtful. We have to be attentive with what we consume. These alternate forms of light. But do you see these things in the true light of Christ? One of the things that I like to do with my family is we have a movie night once a week. We try to find good redemptive stories that are in the context of a movie that we see. Most recently we saw this movie, I think it's called A Million Miles Away. If you've seen it, it's a pretty good story of this uh, migrant farmer who was uh, raised and moved from Mexico and he became an astronaut. And it's just this great story of hard work and diligence, but looking for good themes of, oh yeah, just work hard and you get what you want. Work hard and God will be pleased with you. All your dreams will come true. Now, these are false narratives that don't find themselves in the Bible. Are we looking for these false sources of light? Jesus warns us, be careful. Those candles might seem bright until the morning dawns and the sun comes out. You see them for what they truly are. They're useless. And guys, this is why we need community. This is why it's so important for you to be in the lives of other people and for other people to be in your life. That when you are going astray, when you have these things that are coming into your body, into your heart, that are changing you, that are molding you, somebody will sit you down, look you in the eye and say, this is not good for you. It doesn't happen in any other context but the context of the church. This is where God's Word comes into play. As you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The only glory we were made to see. And His light alone will fill us and give us light. Purpose, meaning, direction to every part of our very lives. And when this light comes in, it illuminates us completely. This is what verse 36 is talking about in our text. He says, If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Just to be clear, what Jesus is not talking about here is this aspect of you will become sinless. That you will become without sin. No, we continue to have sin in the dark recesses of our hearts. And it will be there. The presence of sin will be there until we see Him face to face. What He's communicating here to the crowd and to us is that when we see Him for who He truly is, the light of the world, everything else makes sense. This is where the purpose and direction and what He's called us to in our lives the light of the world is central to the church and he's central to our church and our mission. And we are called to reflect him as we proclaim him. Yes, we do serve the city. Yes, we do good things for our neighbors, for our friends. We are to be a good neighbor. We invite people to events like a friend's giving. 
but we are also to hate what he hates. We are to love what he loves. And chiefly, we are to proclaim him as we reflect him to those around us. So who is it in your life that you believe God is calling you to reflect the light of the world to? Maybe it's that coworker. Maybe it's that neighbor that you've had a relationship with for a while. And he might know that you're a Christian or maybe he doesn't. How can you reflect the gospel in what you do, but also in what you say? And again, this is where community is so important. Evangelism is not a solo endeavor. Evangelism is a community endeavor. And we're not trying to just get more people here on Sunday morning. No, we are called to go and make disciples. As we go, where we live, work, learn, play, that's where we proclaim. That's where we reflect this light. We proclaim the gospel. We adorn the gospel. And let us, by the grace of God, walk in this light. Not rejecting Him for cheap substitutes of light, but enjoying and reflecting Him from this day and every day. I'll close to give you a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. And it is in his light that we see light. Father, I pray for those here this morning who maybe are wondering and confused and have questions about the resurrection. Lord, I pray that you would shine the light of the gospel in their dark hearts and that you would give them faith. And Lord, I pray for those here who want to understand the Old Testament more. God, I pray that they would understand it in light of the grand story of redemption and what has happened through something greater coming, namely you, Jesus, through your death, burial, and resurrection. And God, I do pray for us as a church as we go forth from here. Lord, in this really unique season as we're knocking on the door of holidays and Lord, we're around people that we love that may know You or may not know You. Lord, I pray that You would give us wisdom in how to reflect You well. Lord, I pray that You would give us patience. But Lord, I also pray that You would give us boldness in the good and loving things that we do that it would lead to good and loving things that we would say with these people. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.